Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to the Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. Back in the 1500s in Germany, Martin Luther said, quote, Pray as if it all depends upon God. Work as if it all depends upon you. I think that's a good quote. Pray like it all depends upon God, because it does ultimately, but work as if it all depends upon you. What we're going to learn today is Jesus prayed, 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 and then he worked, worked, worked for the kingdom of God. We're going to study part two of the longest prayer of Christ in the Bible. It comes from John chapter 17, so would you grab a Bible, turn to John chapter 17. It's called his high priestly prayer. He prays it the night before he's crucified, and he's interceding for the future of his Christian church, which means you and me. So let's go, John chapter 17, and let's pray first. Father, we do pray that each person watching this program will have a deep, real prayer life, but that it won't just be a prayer life, but it will turn into each of us doing something, working something for the kingdom of God. So God, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here is what Jesus prayed in the great prayer. John chapter 17, we're going to start at verse 9. I ask on their behalf, the disciples. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Here's the first lesson I want you to get. Jesus has a special love for the church. There is a general love that God has for everyone, and Jesus will pray for the world in a few verses, but in this verse, he's praying just for his own uh, the, the covenant people of God. Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is the blood of the new covenant. So if you're a part of that group of people who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, there's a special, intense love that God has for you. Again, let me explain this. God sends rain for everybody, sunlight for everybody, gives, you know, whether you're an atheist, Jew, Buddhist, Christian or not, there's this general love that all of us experience from God. But the deep covenantal love are only for his church. So let me ask you if you're a believer, do you believe that? When you sin and feel miserable about yourself, do you still believe, in spite of my sin, God has a deep covenantal love for me? I think it can be hard for us Christians to believe God forgives us because he's so holy and we're so sinful. But this verse is teaching that nevertheless, if you've been redeemed by the blood, by the death of Christ on the cross, God forgives your sins and he has a deep covenantal love for you. Believe that. Verse 10. All things that are mine are yours. God the Father, and your things, God the Father, are mine, says God the Son, and I have been glorified in them. Here's the next lesson. 
in them means the church. The next lesson, the church exists for the glory of Jesus. The church does not exist to do social programs. It doesn't exist to do political action. The church does not exist to feed the hungry. The reason the church exists is for the glory of Jesus. Now, if your church has a hunger program and you're doing it for the glory of Jesus, that's fine. But sometimes churches do all these good things, but they never mention Jesus while they do it. That is called losing your way. In the newspaper, they had an article where they asked three pastors, should the church be involved in politics? The first two pastors were, were more liberal, and they said definitely, and they had some liberal social causes that the church has to get behind. The third pastor they asked was a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran pastor. You don't get more conservative than that. <laughs> and his response was, absolutely not. The church is here on earth to preach the gospel, period, not to do politics. Well, I agree that overwhelmingly the purpose of the church is to pre preach Christ crucified and not to do social programs. I agree with that. But what if doing social programs is the way we spread the gospel? I mean, for instance, I was asked to come to speak to a large group about my pro-life views. So I did. But I snuck the gospel in there. I said, now if you've had an abortion, there's a way you can be forgiven and have eternal life. That's through faith in Christ because he died on the cross for your sins, etc. So I used the social issue to preach the gospel. I think that's fine. So yes, I agree with the conservative pastor. Overwhelmingly, the church is not here to do politics. We're here to preach Christ crucified. On the other hand, God forgive the pastors who will not take a stand for the unborn child, who will not take a stand for marriage being one man, one woman, who will not take a stand that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and people need to believe in him to be saved. God forgive those pastors. I said this last week, I'll say it again. Reverend Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, recently spoke to a group of pastors and his point was, God hates cowards. He quoted Revelation 21 where it says cowards will be thrown into the lake of fire. And Billy Graham's son said the problem with America are these pastors who are so afraid of offending people, they never mention abortion, they never mention homosexuality, they never mention hell because they want to please people. And we're so concerned with pleasing people as the church in America, we're not saving anybody. Verse 11. Jesus said, I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves, the disciples, are in the world. And I have come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Here's the next lesson. Pray that the church be kept. Now, I've got to admit, sometimes I wonder, Lord, why aren't you keeping the church? Why is the church so into error? Did you hear about the new head bishop of the Church of Sweden? The Church of Sweden is the Lutheran Church. I'm a Lutheran. The new head bishop of uh, the Lutheran Church in Sweden is a woman who has chosen Allahu Akbar as her slogan. That's a Muslim slogan. God is greater. It's what some Muslims scream as they crash into buildings. So the reporter says to the new Lutheran bishop, well, do you believe Muhammad or Jesus has given us the better revelation of God? she wouldn't answer the question. She also said, you can't take the Bible as literal truth. She doesn't believe in the virgin birth of Christ. She doesn't believe hell exists. And I'm thinking, God, 
Why do you let people like that become the bishop over the Church of Sweden? I mean, I, I'm thinking right now of a, of a person I went to seminary with. She now has become an ELCA Lutheran bishop, and a few summers ago she's at the state fair preaching against the marriage amendment, which would have kept marriage one woman and one man in the state of Minnesota. And now because of people like her, we have gay marriage in Minnesota because of Lutheran pastors. And, 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 I, and I read all this and I'm wondering, God, why don't you keep the church? And I think there's, there's two answers to that. Number one, because we're not praying. When is the last time you prayed, God, keep the church from error? So some of this is our fault. But I think the second answer to why isn't God keeping the church, he is keeping the church. But not everyone in the church is the church. Let me explain this. There's something called the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is made up of everybody that goes to church. All the erring bishops, all the radical seminary professors, everybody who says they're a Christian, that's called the visible church. That's a mess and it's always been a mess. But then there's something called the invisible church. And these are the people in all kinds of denominations who truly believe in, love, and follow Jesus Christ. That church is doing fine. That church will be kept till the end of time. And the visible church will always kind of be a mess. Let's look at verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Here's the next lesson. Pray for church unity. You know, sometimes churches can split over what color carpeting they should have. <laughs> I had a woman come to me once, and, and obviously she didn't attend church much because we had been doing this for a couple of years. Pastor Brock, why, why don't you wear your robe at the second service? I said, well, you know, madam, the, the 8 o'clock service is the traditional service, and we wear the traditional robe, but the 11 o'clock service is more contemporary, and so we don't wear the robes. Well, she said, if, if the pastors aren't going to wear the robes at the second service, I'm just going to have to find another church. And I'm thinking, talk about majoring in the minors. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, uh, pray. You know, I, hope you pray. I hope you all go to church. I hope you have a good church you go to every week. But then pray for the unity of your church because sometimes the dumbest things can cause the church to split. Pray for unity. Look at verse 12. When I was with them, the disciples, I was keeping them in your name, God the Father's name, which you have given me, and I guarded them that not one of them should perish but the son of perdition, that would be Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Here's the next lesson. Even the lost glorify God. Judas, the betrayer, even he in a strange way, whether he knew it or wanted to do it or not, he glorified God by fulfilling the scripture that the Christ had to be betrayed. I preached this last week. I'll pre preach it again. Everybody will glorify God one way or another. You can glorify God by, for his mercy by being saved, or you can glorify God for his justice by being damned, but everybody, one way or another, for mercy or for, for justice, will glorify God. The preferable route, I hope for you, is that you glorify God for his mercy, that you come to Christ, trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, but if you insist on glorifying God by his justice over your sin, by being sent to hell, well, one way or another, everybody in some way is going to glorify God. Verse 13. 
But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they, the disciples, may have my joy made full in themselves. I, look at that verse again. Look at those words and answer this question. What brings joy? And Jesus says, these things I speak are what bring joy. Here's the next lesson. The words of Jesus brings joy. I'll tell you what warms my heart. When I'm walking around a church and I'm seeing all kinds of Sunday school classes going on, and here's a couple rooms with adults studying the Bible, and then in the worship service, the, the pastor's really preaching the Bible, that warms my heart because you know how we get our joy? Jesus said, these things I speak that you can have joy. When we're spending time in the Word, when we're reading the Word, going to church, hearing the Word preached, when we're part of a small group Bible study, that brings us joy. I mean, I can tell you personally, when I'm spending a good, good amount of time in the Word, when I'm in a small group Christian fellowship, I get such joy out of that. When I neglect the Word, when I neglect fellowship, I lose my joy. I mean, I thought of my mom. I believe my mom's in heaven, but she kind of spent her life reading romance novels, watching TV, and playing cards. I never once saw my mom read her Bible. But I know, you know a couple years before she died, she told me that she started reading the Bible, and I've read it through twice now, Tommy, and that just thrilled my heart. But I, I kind of, I don't know that my mom ever was involved in a small group Bible study where she talked to other Christians about what she believed or what she was going through. And that hurts. If you rob yourself of the word, you lose your joy. Verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Here's the next lesson. Christian, expect to be hated. I encourage you to go to persecution.org and get their newsletter. They're a group that helps persecuted Christians. I, I, I read that. It's, it's free, persecution.org. Listen to this. A convert from Islam to Christianity, Ahmed Mohammed, now debates Muslims on, uh, I think on the radio or something, or on paultalk.com, and now he has been targeted, and his name and photo have been posted on a website. And here's what it says on the, under the photo. Know this, Ahmed, we tracked you, and being in America will not help you. Your blood is lawful under the laws of Islam. We will kill you soon. If, I, if you were with me, I would kill you now. I will know where you are, and you will be killed someday. Ahmed, by the life of your mother's obscenity deleted, your blood is lawful. We know where you are in America, and we will slaughter you like the lamb you worship. I, got a, I, I took a stand, I think, in the newspaper against homosexual marriage. I got this one. It is so, lots of O's, it is so sad when a religious person wants to promote hate and intolerance. Poor sad Tom, exclamation point. You are so filled with hate that I feel I must pray for your eternal soul, etc. Someday I hope that you will actually understand Jesus' concept of love. I wrote him back. Dear Nick, yes, I do believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Am I therefore filled with hate? I hope not. I am a sinner who needs to daily repent of his sins and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for my salvation. But it is out of love that I speak, 
since the Bible teaches those who persist in impenitent sin, including the sin of homosexuality, will not be saved. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I hope this helps. And then I got another rough email back from him. But my point is, Christian, it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. If you take a stand for Christ in this world, expect to be misunderstood, misinterpreted, and hated. Verse 15. I do not ask you, God the Father, to take them, the disciples, out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Here's the next lesson. Christians, be involved in the world. Jesus said, I don't ask you, God, to take them out of the world. I mean, at one point, if you remember the Old Testament, Moses says, God, can I die? And God said, no. And then later, Elijah says, God, enough, can I die now? And God said, no. And then Jonah says, God, enough, you can take my life. And God says, no. God sent us to earth, Christians, to be involved. So let me ask you this question. Are you involved? Are you doing anything to bring this lost world to Christ? Get involved in something. That's why you're on earth. God wants Christians involved. You know why Martin Luther did not believe in monasteries? He didn't think Christians should be off on a hill somewhere praying. He thought Christians should be right down in the culture, being involved, spreading the gospel. I'm not saying it's wrong to be in a monastery or something, but if that's all you're doing, something's wrong. Verse 15. Don't take them out of the world, he says, but keep them from the evil one. Here's the next lesson. Pray for protection from the devil. You know, here was a wonderful, powerful preacher, and he had a great preaching ministry. And then he ended up having an affair with a teenage girl, and now he's selling shoes in a department store. And I, I remember an old pastor saying, for every one time the devil walks around the parishioner's house, he walks around the pastor's house ten times. I don't know if that's true, because I think parishioners get attacked as well. But do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for your church? Do you pray for yourself, your children, your grandchildren? God, protect them from the devil. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Verse 16. They, the disciples, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Here's the next lesson. Christians are to be in, not of the world. We are to be in the world. We're not to be of the world. So as a Christian parent, do you send your kid to public school? Well, we are to be in the world. But on the other hand, some Christians send their kids into public school and they start to become the world, so they have to pull them out. So I don't think there's an easy answer. You've got to pray for guidance, but we are to be in the world. Last lesson is verse 17. Sanctify, that means make them holy or set them apart. Sanctify them, the disciples, in the truth. Your word is truth. Here's the next, next lesson, last lesson. We are made holy by God's truth. Sanctify them, make them holy. And, and here's what I think Jesus is praying here. God, I'm going to go to the cross tomorrow. I'm going to make them holy, set them apart by my death on the cross. Keep them holy through your word. Let me tell you why I read the Bible every day. I do read the Bible pretty much every day. And let me tell you why. I'm a sinner. I was born this way. I have evil inclinations in my heart. I have these wicked thoughts that you don't want to hear about. And on the other hand, I'm a born-again, forgiven, redeemed child of God. I am a new creature in Christ. I'm saved. But I still have to fight my flesh. The tool God has given me to fight the flesh is his word. 
And if you try to fight your flesh and the devil without this book, without a good Christian church, you're going to fail. I mean, I fail enough, but good night would I fail if I didn't have the Word of God in my life. I want to encourage you, if you don't read your Bible daily, start doing it. If you don't go to a good church that preaches the Bible, start doing it, because this Word is what God has used to decide and to keep us holy. Uh, there was an elderly man who had a rip-roaring drinking problem. I was trying to get him some help. And finally I said to him, you know, you really need to start reading the Bible. And he said to me, you could tell he was very embarrassed. He said, I can't read. So I think the way I remember it, we got him some Bible tapes. I said, when you're sitting in the kitchen, when you're sitting on your porch, just listen to the word of God. It's the word of God, Jesus said, that'll make them holy. Well, one last thing. I love to listen to the Bible. I'd rather sometimes listen to it than read it. Bible.is is a free app. You can get on your, your uh, cell phone. And so when I'm laying in the bed at night and can't sleep, I just push my cell phone button, and the guy starts reading the Gospel of Luke to me, or Leviticus, or whatever. Bible.is, but the Word of God is what makes us holy. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. You know, Pastor Brock, during these first two sermons in this series, you've talked about the church being worried about offending people. Yeah. The people that are offending people because they want us to change things, is anybody talking to them about offending God? Amen. Amen. Isn't that the truth? The church cares so much about offending people. We don't care if we offend God by twisting his truth. We don't care that, you know, 4,000 babies are dying every day, but well, I'm not going to say anything because Mrs. So-and-so had an abortion years ago. Well, you, then you preach it with humility. You say something like, you know, I know some of you had an abortion, but there's forgiveness through Christ if you'll ask for forgiveness. But you still got to preach it. And yeah, Jackie, you've hit the nail on the head. Do we care that we offend God? Well, when you talk about some of the synods and the way they've changed and everything, they've lost sight of God almost. Yeah, I would agree. And have made the church more social yes. than a vehicle for worshiping God and living what God intends and, us to and, do. And I think, listen, I, I got to say it again. If you're a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Episcopal Church in America, especially the United Church of Christ, the Presbyterian Church USA, time to look for another church because those churches have taken official positions against God on the unborn, on homosexuality, and some of them even won't take a stand that Jesus is the only Savior anymore. So I'd get out of those churches. Okay, let's go to a little bit of a social issue. Do you think it's ever proper for a church to tell people how they should vote? Yeah. I mean, Jackie, I don't think a pastor should get up on the pulpit and say, vote for candidate X. But I think he should say, you know, when you vote, vote for candidates that will uphold the sanctity of human life. Vote for candidates who aren't going to promote homosexual marriage in our culture and force Christians to do things against their conscience. I mean, Jackie, uh, there is a court now order for a man who didn't want to uh, bake a, a, a wedding cake for a gay marriage. He's, he's court ordered now. You have to bake one. And they probably get it for free. Yeah. Isn't that something? So. You talked about church unity. Um, is there ever a time, and I guess the question would be, how does a person realize when the time is 
that it's necessary maybe for a church to split. Yeah. Well, sometimes when I hear of churches that split, it's over really dumb, stupid things like the coloring of the carpet. I wanted a new red carpet and they bought a new blue one. I mean, sometimes you hear that kind of thing. But when you hear people leaving a church because the path, we had this happen at, at Hope Lutheran when I was there years ago. We had a couple come to our church because their Lutheran pastor got in the pulpit and said, Jesus is not the only way of salvation. And this woman said to her husband, time to find another church. And they left. They split from that church. That church does not exist anymore, Jackie. They had to sell the building to some Baptists, I think. And, you know, you preach falsehood, you get what you get. So I think there is a time to leave a church. Um, when you make that choice to leave a church, is there a path you should take up to that? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not telling everybody necessarily to jump church jump from your church immediately. But when you try, I mean, we, you were part of Hope Lutheran for years, so was I. We tried for years to turn the ELCA Lutheran Church around, and it got worse and worse and worse. Finally, the light bulb went on. Time to join a more biblical Lutheran body, and we did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You said that the words of Jesus bring joy. So I guess you're talking one specific chapter of the Bible here, but do you have any advice on how people should read the Bible? Yeah. Because sometimes there are some things in the Bible that aren't mm -hmm. very joyful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I would say there, here's a good way. First of all, read the Bible with other believers. Because sometimes people read the Bible all by themselves and they kind of get weird because they get their own weird private interpretations. The reason God gave us the church is so we could be in Christian fellowship with one another. So join a small group. Join a Christian small group. That's a great way to study the Bible. When you do study the Bible by yourself, don't study it by yourself. Have some good Christian commentaries. And I love the English Standard Version. They have a study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, because on the bottom of each page they have good notes explaining the difficult verses, and they're very fair. If there's a verse that maybe has two or three valid interpretations that's kind of confusing, they'll talk about that. So the ESV Study Bible, get some good Bible commentaries. So read the Bible when you're reading it by yourself with these other scholars. I like that. Um, but yeah, just one way or another, though, start reading your Bible. Okay, one last question. What can we do for Christians who are being persecuted? Yeah, the, I just talked about the, the Christian being persecuted by the militant Muslims. Again, uh, persecution.org. Okay. Go there, get their newsletter. They can you can contribute there and you'll help. I think we're starting to see some persecution of the Christians here from the national or the government sector and yeah. that of Christians being persecuted Christ a little Catholics bit. Catholics being forced to pay for contraceptives. Mm -hmm. Pray for that because that's before the Supreme Court. There's a lot we'll have to do on another show. Yeah. We want to thank you for being with us today. At the end of the program you're seeing right now, that's our website. You can check that out. You can see our shows. You'll know how to help pray for us and what our needs are. And we just want to say God bless until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Music